Well, thank you, Bill. Good morning, Olive Branch. We are, um, we are blessed to have such an awesome worship team, aren't we? Just all, with everything that went on this morning. I can remember as a young man um, uh, when, the, when the Iraq war was going on and, and all this stuff had been going on with the Berlin Wall. It was earlier, the Berlin Wall and all these things. Just, re, just pondering our military and thinking about it. I had a huge respect for it, knowing both of my grandparents were involved with it. And just feeling as a kid, as a young kid early on in my life, feeling safe because we had the, the biggest, strongest military in the world. There was that, that safety sense. And as I've grown up, uh, I've realized that um, that... that the military has given us so much freedom and so much enjoyment of those freedoms. And yeah, that doesn't mean the world isn't dangerous, right? I mean, look at Americans right now. When we think about safety, when we think about security, we get into a lot of different ideas. Security systems. You've got security systems on your ID, right? Anybody got LifeLock, those kind of things out there? And so you've got a security system called passwords encoded in your, your iPad that you're sitting with, with your computers, with all the pieces that you're dealing with. Uh, it's gotten to the point now that um, you want a security system on your home linked to your iPad and all this. In fact, they're advertising it on radio programs that, hey, get this security system. They're, what it does is it's awesome. You can, you'll have cameras throughout your house so you can look in every room of your house, make sure your house is safe. You can have a, and from your remote desktop or wherever you are, you can lock your doors from your very iPad away from your home in case you forgot. And, and this is their selling point. So I'm thinking, what an easy hack job for somebody to get into your house, right? And if you're selling that thing, I'm sorry, I just said that. But um, yeah. <laughs> The point is, even our security systems, I've met people who feel like our security has become the danger. Have you ever met those people? They're like, look at all the cameras, look at all the stuff. They're just taking in information about you. It makes us paranoid because the honest to goodness truth is there's no amount of security that you can buy to make you safe in this world. Can we be honest? We all know that we're going to be brought into this world, go through a world of danger, and we're going to end up going out of this world, and we're not going to make it out alive. I think we need to realize that. You're not going to make it out alive. As much as we want to keep ourselves going and we want to keep ourselves safe, the bottom line is eventually something's going to get to us. This world is deadly. You're going to fight the deadliness the second you walk out of here and you sit down at the restaurant and you face the menu because according to everything out there, all that stuff's going to kill you, right? We are facing a deadly world. It doesn't matter if it's your food, if it's your neighbor, if it's, I mean, we have people paranoid about letting their children play in their front yards today. We are living in a world where we feel insecure, no matter how much security we put together. Insurance, security, I mean, just it's all over the place. And so, you know, I want to I think about that because there's a depth of insecurity that goes beyond this world around us. In fact, most of that insecurity is found inside, not outside. It's discovered in our souls, not necessarily found just because we are in a dangerous world. Because we realize that this dangerous world is built up of dangerous people like you and like me. That it's just a matter of us giving in to the darker side of ourselves. And things could get pretty hairy in our own lives. And so what do we do? How do we deal with this idea of insecurity? How do we deal with this inside insecurity that lives there? This kind of sense of, I'm not good enough, I'm horrible, or or whatever happens. Well, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this security. That security is less about the, uh, the things that you walk through life with and more about who you walk through life with. 
So we're going to examine this one, who we walk through life with. And we're going to find that in Romans chapter 8, beginning in 1, verse 1 through 11. So if you have a Bible, open it up to page 944 in the Bibles under your seats if you, if you, need, the, if you need a Bible. Otherwise, Romans 8, chapter 1. We're going to look at the first few verses here at the start, and then we're going to launch forward. Paul is an author, um, is the author of this, of this letter. He, it's a letter written to the people of Rome, and um, this church in Rome he's writing to because he's saying, hey, I'm going to pass through your one of the big churches I'm going to be meeting. I want to ensure that, hey, if, if you know I'm coming, this isn't the gospel I'm going to be preaching in Spain. I want you guys to be able to endorse me. And so he writes this letter. He's just finished arguing in our last se- in a, a series a, a little while ago where we said, how do we deal with the fact that we're in this immense grace? And see, if you're not a Christian, you've got to realize Christianity is based on one concept. It's based on God giving a gift. It's not based on works. It's not based on us cleaning it up. It's about God giving a gift of grace where he takes our sin, which has stained our past and stained our lives, and he's given us the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that his blood would cover over that stain of sin. And now we are free to live with God, free to have a relationship with him. And so Paul just finished saying, look, this doesn't mean we just go sin like crazy, like Jesus says, some get out every sin free card kind of thing, so go, go sin like crazy. He's like, that's not what it's about. We're following God. But it's also not a bunch of rules where you lock yourself down and you make yourself live according to these, these laws and these standards because all the law does is it provokes our heart to sin and condemns us. And so what he's done is he's just finished saying that, look, why would we look anywhere else to fight except to look to Christ? There's no one else in the Bible. There's no one else in history that has beat sin. So why are you trying to fight it? And so then he lands with this thought, beginning in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law or the principle of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the principle of sin and death. For God has done what the Jewish law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of that law of God might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So let's start here. What Paul begins with is he says, well, how in the world do we do? What do we do with this insecurity? What do we do with this, this internal problem where we're a danger to ourselves? We need to begin to realize, first and foremost, foremost, that we're only secure when God provides the security. That's where it starts. You're only secure when God provides the security. You can, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have security systems and stuff like that. This is all insurance and and aid so you don't lose your property. But ultimately, it's not going to provide you with a sense of security. And so it starts with us to realize that we're only secure when God provides the security. And it's right here in verse 1 through 3. He says, look, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is this no condemnation? It means there's no, not, there's no guilty that's going to be coming from God. God is, on the day of judgment, when you stand before him, you're not going to hear the gavel fall and him go, guilty of all these sins. I think about that because Jesus Christ dealt with the condemnation. It says that the principle of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. You are not condemned in Christ Jesus. In fact, he goes on to say what Jesus did is he dealt with sin by condemning sin in his own flesh. This is the basic gospel. That what we have is a freedom from the fear of death and condemnation in what Jesus did on the cross. Because what Jesus did on the cross is he bore our punishment. He bore our shame, our condemnation that we love to give ourselves, don't we? 
I'll tell you what, I mean, there are plenty of situations where I will walk away. Maybe it's an elders meeting. Maybe it's just a conversation with friends. Maybe it's a situation where I was just out and about. And next thing I know, maybe I'm driving in my car and I, and I kind of went a little faster than I wanted and went around a corner when I shouldn't have. And I look up and there's an olive branch sticker sitting next to me on another car and they saw it was me. And you, know, you, you can replay your bad conversation with your friends. You can replay the, the moment you got upset in that boardroom meeting. Over and over and over in your head. You ever been there? You just can't go to sleep? Because what are you telling yourself? You're such an idiot. Why would you even do that? You, what, what even, you, you, that's not smart, you stupid. I mean, this is my language. Some of your guys may be harsher. You know? Some of your guys may be nicer. But all of us have what this thing called self-speak. And it's oftentimes condemnatory. You ever notice that? That oftentimes you speak the loudest to yourself when you've done something wrong. And you've joined in a condemnation of yourself because of your actions and your attitudes. But guys, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now, yeah, was it dumb? Was it a bad move? Or, yeah, sure. And there's consequences you're going to face. But you shouldn't pigeonhole yourself into a position of a person. Because guess what? Once God has loved you, once he has accepted you, once he has given you his son, Jesus Christ, there's no one left to impress There's nothing left to prove. God knows how messed up you are. He knows it better than you do. He could write the book on how messed up Greg Harris is. And it wouldn't be pretty because he knows exactly what's in my heart. And yet, he has loved me. And yet, he has given his son, Jesus Christ, for you to bear your sins, that ugliness on the cross. And yet, he has declared that you are not guilty in Jesus Christ. So why do we condemn ourselves? Do you struggle with that? And maybe it's a chance to step back from that insecurity and that condemnation and realize that we need to speak truth to ourselves. I am not condemned in Christ. Now, I may have a mess to clean up here and I may need to do what's right, but I am not condemned in Christ. What a freedom that is to not be condemned. What a healthiness. And that takes away that fear of sin, except for the fact that we all fear falling into sin. We all still fear it. We know that we can. We know that we can struggle with that. So what do we do with that aspect? We're going to pick up on this part. Then we'll go back to looking at the fear of death in a second. But let's, let's look at this part real quick. He, he goes on to explain this in, the, in chapter 8, down in verse 5. He starts off this way. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so there's, there's really these two categories he's talking about. You have this guy over here who's put his mind on the things of the flesh. And this person over here has put their mind on the things of the spirit. And so he kind of divides these up. And what he's talking about is a very important thing. That, what, that we need to dwell on God's way in order to have security against sin. And that's the only way to have a security against sin. Not laws, not rules, not just run off into sin. You need to dwell on God. You need to dwell on his way. You see, what we dwell on leads to the way our lives work out. Did you know that? What you dwell on, what you ponder, what goes on in your self-speak, what you put into your mind is what obviously comes out in your life. It's, It's like a good computer programmer knows. Garbage in, garbage out. And that's the truth for the human being. Garbage in, 
garbage out. I can dwell on the garbage side or I can dwell on the spiritual side. And what I put in is what's going to come out. Notice how the book of James puts this. James writes, and he's talking about sin. And go ahead and throw that verse up there for me, please. James chapter 1. What do we... Verse 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. What we dwell on leads to how we live. Each person is tempted. First there's the temptation. And then we're lured in, not by the temptation, but by your own desire. There's something inside of you, some attitude, some desire that leads you to accept the temptation. And then it sits inside of you and conceives into a plan and gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. This is the psychological development of those who put their mind or dwell on the flesh, as Paul is saying here. He says, listen, those who live according to the flesh, what's the flesh? Let's put it this way. Your body has a Netflix in it. Anybody have Netflix? Throw throw up your hand real quick so I know how. Okay, good. Most of us have Netflix nowadays. And when you first turn on your Netflix, it gives you this random assortment of categories, some of which you really don't want. Isn't that true? You're kind of like, why is that on there? And you're like, how do I get to the children's side of this thing? Because I don't want any of this. And, and And you're looking at these categories and you're going, what is this? And me and my wife were staring at it for a long time. We watched a couple movies and they kept going, your top 10 picks are these. And we're like, I don't think so. It's like, that's not even close. And we realized what we had to do is we had to go through, find all the movies we had seen before and rate all those movies. Then we had to go through and, and, and actually put into our queue the movies we were interested in seeing. And then Netflix starts doing something. It starts preloading what they think you really want to watch off of how you've rated and what you've done. Your flesh does the same thing. The body is designed, and what we did is we had this pre-programmed set that all we started doing is we selected the really bad stuff because we didn't know any better. We started selecting the bad stuff, watching the bad stuff, putting the bad stuff in. So what were we getting out? We were getting bad stuff. And then our filters were leaning us to more and more and more sinful decisions. And what God is saying is that the more you dwell on these things, the more you insert these things, the more likely it's going to conceive to click on that because that's what you want. Your mindset is different. Your entire categories are shifted. And we, can't, we, can't, we can dwell on these base desires and they will lead to sin. We can dwell on these sets of things. You can dwell on the competition. You can dwell on that idea of, of being overly driven for your own glory. You can dwell on the idea of lust. You can dwell on the idea of being popular. You can dwell on these very base carnal feelings. And they will set your system up in your life to choose particular directions. And when that occurs, you're going to wind up with problems. Notice the kind of problems you wind up with. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. For the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It leads to a life of sinning. It leads to a life of of self-delusion that you're fine because you're picking what you got in front of you. But your whole mindset has been shifted towards sin. And it's an interesting question then to ask yourself. What are you and I dwelling on then in our lives right now that is going into your life and coming out in sin? Think about it right now for a minute right here in the service. Stop and ask yourself, what am I allowing into my life right now that is driving my heart in the direction to dwell on my carnal sinful desires? What shows What songs, what friends 
conversations. I'm not saying not have the friends. I'm saying what conversations are you indulging in your heart? What kind of attitudes at work are you indulging with in your heart? What are you thinking about in the, in the spaces of your mind? On your way home? In the car? Who's filling you up? will give you a good indication of why things seem to be dying in your life. Because that's what he says. You're going to feel like you're not pleasing to God. You're going to have a sense that your mind is, is hostile to God. You're going to have a sense that you just don't want to be with God right now. And there's a pushback. There's, a, there's a, an overzealous questioning maybe. But most importantly, you're going to see that the outcome of the things in your life is death. And right now, you could begin to analyze your life. And you can say, what relationships are dying? And behind there somewhere is probably carnal thinking and actions. What financial situation is dying? What interpersonal relationship is dying? What part of your character is dying? Is your body dying in a faster way than it ought to? Because of our carnal decisions of, of, not, of not disciplining ourselves, of, of not being willing to, to do what these things are. We're just inputting ourselves with all of this negative garbage in and garbage out. But see, what's funny is once you have that Netflix set, even on Netflix, the real Netflix, you don't get to switch it like that, do you? I mean, it, you, can, you can be watching the right movies and, and doing all the right things, and it'll still give you garbage for months and months and years and years. And you're just trying to filter that stuff down to the core pieces that you want. The, in our world, that's called sanctification. This interior of your life is being constantly swapped out, and it's going to take time. It's not instantaneous. All these things are, are affecting us. We live in a world that's affecting us, and now this shift has to occur from being people who dwell on the flesh to being people who can, because of Christ, dwell on the spirit. And notice what happens then. Look, read, read with me verse 5. It says, those who, set their mind, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6. The, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Who doesn't want life and peace? Do you don't want life and peace? You may now leave because all we're going to talk about how to get life and peace now after this point. But I don't know anybody who doesn't want life and peace. We jump out of airplanes to feel alive. Right? We do crazy things to feel alive. We seek out psychologists and counselors and drugs and all these things to get peace. And I said, it's not in these carnal things here, guys. It's in, it's in the literal following of the Spirit that these things come out. We have to dwell on the Spirit's ways and it'll shape our minds towards life. What is the Spirit's ways? What is this stuff that we're looking at? Well, let's start with a few verses and take a peek for a second. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, don't be conformed to this world. Don't dwell on these things, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the best way to know how this mind is transformed is by what you're inputting into your mind. What, what, what are you inputting into your mind? What are you bringing in to your thinking processes? Because I can guarantee you, oftentimes in our culture, just being in our culture, this side is going to outweigh the spiritual side just by going into default. You have to be active. If you think you could just sit back and we live in a Christian culture and it's going to influence you towards Christ, it's not. We don't live in that culture. You have to be active. You have to fight against your fleshly desires to not read a book. You have to fight against your fleshly desires to just veg out 
and give yourself relaxed time. And so there's this reality that we need to conform our minds. It's going to be a process, and it's going to take us to be active in that process, and it's going to take us to make sure we're focusing ourselves on the things of the Spirit. Where do those come from? They come from the Word of God. This is your primary location for transformation of your mind. But it only happens when you know it and you apply it. Look at how James puts it in James chapter 1. Go ahead and go to that verse for me. He says in James chapter 1. All right. I'll just read it to you guys this way. James chapter 1 verse 22 says that we should be people who are doers of the word, not simply hearers of the word, and so deceive ourselves. The point is simply that we need to be a people who don't just simply take in the word. We need to be active to do it. We need to be active to live it. So it's nice that we know scripture here and there from when we were in kindergarten and we were in our Sunday schools and and stuff. Maybe you memorize some of the verses from the beyond the messages or whatever. But a passionate Christ follower is one who has this not just in his mind but allows it out of his life. One who not just knows the truths, but walks in those truths. One who knows the promises and prays those promises. One who has an interaction with the living God and has an interaction with the church community. Those things together all combine to be how we gain spiritual growth and how we develop into a mindset that's not, anti, that's not for the flesh, but in the way of the Spirit. You want to know what the way of the Spirit really looks like? Read the Gospels. Go look at Jesus. From day, from the second he is baptized on, it says the Spirit of God led him forward. What's the first thing the Spirit of God leads him into? Temptation. Takes him right out into the desert. Why? Maybe to teach us the way to fight temptation. How does Jesus do it? Uses the Word of God. The devil tries to use the Word of God to fool Jesus, but Jesus knows how the Word of God is understood and studied. And so we need to not just know the word of God, we need to know it in its place and what its intention is. What else does he do? He's out there praying, he's out there fasting, he's out there in a world where he's giving himself fully to God, eliminating distractions, doing these things. Keep reading because Jesus is going to teach us how to deal with people that we don't really like, how to stand up against authority that's evil, how to move forward into a case where he's suffering and surviving and going through it. How do we do these things? Just, you want to find out that? Go look at the life of Jesus. You'll discover what the way of the Spirit is, and you'll ponder it, and you'll think about it, and you'll put it in your life, and it'll challenge you. You say, well, I don't have time to do this, Greg. My life is busy. I got a long commute. I got a bunch of baseball games with my kids. I got a bunch of soccer stuff over here. Later on, I'm going to go down here with my friends, and you got me in this small group, and you got me over here doing this thing at church. I got a James project, and I get it. You're busy. Welcome to SoCal, right? But let's face it. We all got gaps. And we all fill the gaps. I guarantee I could sit in your car and your radio probably isn't off. You probably have something going through the speakers of your car. Because we don't like silence and gaps. It's uncomfortable to give a moment of silence even in a Memorial Day presentation. Because we like things filling the gaps. Maybe it's time spend just a little bit of our money from Starbucks towards buying an audio Bible and fill the gaps. 
Maybe it's to discover some podcasts that encourage you and strengthen your faith in ways you never knew. Maybe in apologetics. Maybe it's in some sermon from a really good pastor out there that, from another church that you, you just love studying. And you'd go there if you lived in that city, but you don't. So you come here. And so the whole thing is that you're just encouraged by what's going on out there. You're discovering mission stuff because you're listening to a mission podcast. Or you're, you're, you're having a moment. And you're just filling those gaps as you drive out. If you've got a long commute, you're literally breaking your commute up. You're saying, I got this podcast. I'm going to pray for this long after that. I'm going to sing some worship songs. I'll be home. And you spend an entire huge amount of your day instead of yelling at the guy in front of you, allowing God to input into your life. You're sitting out in the workplace, and you're a, you're a guy who's doing the carpentry and stuff, and a lot of guys got their tunes rolling, and you just got the word of God rolling through your head, or you got those sermons rolling. Just fill the gaps. There's lots to fill the gaps with. There's audiobooks galore out there about books that we've referenced here. Oftentimes you can get them in audio form and you can, you can get an education on the word of God. Just fill the gaps. Maybe it's next you need to actually replace some influences. You know, we've got these things over here. We've got those TV shows and you love them and I love them and we're excited about it and they're entertaining and they're cool and they're fun and you're hooked and you're like, what's gonna happen next week? Because I can't wait, you know. But when you're to take a step back and look at how you are thinking when you're done watching it, and you would say, wait a minute. Why am I pondering these things? Why am I allowing this anger of this show to influence, the lust of this show to influence, the, 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 the flippancy of life of this show to influence, the, the, the carelessness of living to influence me? Maybe you need to step back and ask God to examine those things for you. And then maybe you need to just take one of those things and replace them and put in the place Something that's godly. Maybe that's where you start to serve at church. Maybe that's when you join the small group. Maybe that's where you insert your time with the James Project because you realize, you know, I can take that two hours or that one hour and I can put something much more powerful in that position. Replace an influence. And I'm not just talking about reading the word. You got to do the word. So maybe next, we all need to right now grab our planners And you need to put down on your planner every day one thing you plan on doing that you've learned from the word of God. Did you realize we're not going to live it out if we don't try? We don't plan it in? I mean, what if we took from our Bible study, we got up and it literally said, you know, I know I'm supposed to reach the nations. Okay, this week I'm planning. I have one thing I must do. And I'm planning to go down to the little, to the halal market over here just to get to know somebody who's Muslim, just to begin the conversation about how to, about Jesus Christ. I'm just going to do it because if I don't plan it and make myself do it, I'm never going to take the step of faith. I'm never going to take that challenge I got at church. I'm never going to pick up that thought from my small group. And you, so you should sit with your planner open when you're in your small group, when you're in this service, when you're in a place, and you should plan to do what we challenge ourselves to do. Because if we don't plan to do it, we're not going to do it. It should be locked into your planner, perhaps replacing something, perhaps it's in a gap. But guys, the only way to change our mindsets from dwelling on what this world offers up and the smorgasbord of thoughts built from the flesh is to create the opportunities time and time again for our minds to be reset in a new direction. It's not legalism. All this is just you doing it so you can enjoy your relationship with God. Well, I can do that. No, no, trust me. When you back away and you examine the influences, which side is your mind thinking on is the question. 
Are you prone to be thinking about your Lord or do you become suddenly prone to be bitter about your friend? Angry and unforgiveness, thinking through those things. Um, driven, to, driven for more and more at work so that your families are disintegrating. Because what you'll find is on this side, when you start doing these things, you start living. When you start planning on serving people and you, just, and you take your kids down to one of, the, one of the homes that we place our, our parents and our grandparents and stuff into and you show up and they light up, you'll walk away feeling alive. Everything in you will not want to do this. Let me just remind you, your flesh will be fighting you. Everything in you will not want to go down to the hello market. Everything in you will not want to go over to the Starbucks and meet somebody for a discipleship. Everything in you will tell you, this is not going to be a waste of my time, blah, blah. And every time you will leave, you will feel more alive. And your relationships will grow. And God will begin to bless because he's working through you and you're working with him. It's an incredible reality. When we put our mind on the spirit, we begin to see sin disappear. Why? Because guess what? We're not thinking about those things. You don't beat sin by thinking on it. Too many of you in this room are praying, God, release me from this sin. God, release me from this sin. And all you're doing is dwelling on sin. Instead of dwelling on the spirit of God and where he's leading you and obeying it. Two radical paths, that never beats sin. This does. And that's what Paul is getting at here. He's just saying, guys, allow the Netflix of your life to be reloaded so that you have God's options constantly popping up. You'll walk into a place after a while, after you've tried these things out, you start working things out, and you'll be like, I know that guy. That guy's Muslim. I wonder what he thinks about this idea. You'll, you'll, you'll start engaging with people in love, not just to knock them over the head with the Bible, but you'll, you'll start meeting people, you'll start connecting with people, you'll start having life, you'll start having people over your house you never thought you would, and your children will be like, Mommy, why would I? And you'll be able to teach them things that they never, that children don't learn in suburbs. But because we've engaged with God's spirit and where he's leading us, you'll see where God takes you. And so there's a reality that suddenly you have life, and the second thing you'll have is you'll have a sense of inner peace. Because you realize God's taken that condemnation. And as you're walking with him, notice what it says in verse 4. It says, in order the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Not just fulfilled in the cross, but fulfilled in us. You get to live out what God's intended because you walk in the spirit, not according to the flesh. Who, Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to live a life of meaning in this room right now? A life of, a life that is full of caring about people, transforming lives, and seeing yourself transform, and, and offload all this condemnation of, I'm an idiot, and I did this wrong, that we do inside of ourselves. And the fear that, what's God going to do to me? God's done what he's going to do to you. He's loved you with a love that's incorruptible. He has given you himself in his spirit, and now he's calling you to come join the adventure that the spirit of God is constantly teaching us to go after him with. And it's all laid out in the word of God, and it's given to us to do, and we just don't try. What would happen to a church if we tried? That scares me. No, it should excite us. Transform us. Electrify your life. This would be a room filled with life. And people who have story after story after story of what God did during their week. And you know what it also does? It takes away the fear of death. 
When you trust in God's presence as your security, it becomes your way against death. Notice what he says in verse 4. He goes goes in verse 3, actually. He says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his Son in his likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the spirit of flesh. Uh, who walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And his point here is he's saying, we don't have to fear sin and death. Well, what's, what's so scary about death? What, what's scary about death is this place called hell. That's what's scary about death. The fear is that we don't know where we'll end up in our culture. You talk to the average person, they'll say, oh, heaven. Do you know for sure? I don't know, but I hope so. Do you fear that you may end up in hell at all? And the point here is simply this frightening reality that death could bring not eternal life, but a condemnation. And the more we look at our lives, the more we walk according to the flesh, the more you're going to be afraid of that reality. Can I be honest? The more you live in a world where your Netflix is set by your flesh, where everything inside of you is running and your influence is over here, where you feel like, man, I'm just making a mess. I don't feel alive. I feel dead. The more you will fear Getting older, the more you will fear dying, and the more you will look to the youth, and the more you will look back, which is a vicious cycle because youth aren't very wise, just want to let you know that, and they have a tendency to run after their flesh, they have a tendency to live out their flesh, and there's this reality when we start worshiping that, it becomes a vicious cycle in our lives. And when we say things like, we don't listen to anybody over 30, we're in trouble. It creates a feedback loop in which we start enjoying our personal lives and then death comes and says, now you're going to pay for it because every sinful action has a cost. And basically what he says is, look, we don't have to fear death. Verse 9 goes on. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... The spirit is, a, is life because of righteousness. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, when the spirit of God dwells in you, and I pray that he does, and if he doesn't, you need to examine your heart and know if you're a false Christian, if you're fooling yourself because you raised a hand or you made a prayer or whatever it is, but that you're actually walking by the spirit of God, living according to the word of God, following his guidance and lead from the word of God and from the, and from the application of it, just living it out. If you're walking in this way, That would be called righteousness. And he said, the more you build this up, the less you fear death. Because there's evidence that you're not condemned. You're in Christ. And when we live in Christ's realm, according to his spirit, which is all the same language, you wind up enjoying a life without fear of death, without fear of getting older. If you're walking and being used by God, who cares if your hair falls out? Can I be honest? Who cares what size your breasts are? Can I be honest? Who cares if you've got wrinkles? If you're walking in the spirit of God and he's using you in a powerful way to care about other people around you, who gives a rip if you've got designer clothes or you've got rags? When the church gets distracted on the things of the flesh, caring about ourselves, we wind up living over there, distracted by objects and opportunities that are not in 
the Spirit. My friends, we will fear death and we will see things dying and we will fear gray hair and we will fear our bodies and we will fear aging and we will fear lack of image and we will fear lack of popularity because we are not walking filled by God's route and way. You're not going to care. And when the specter of death looms, you're going to see as he lays it out, that will not worry you. And suffering will not stop you. And confidence in your position in Christ will be sealed because Christ is in you. And although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. My friends, do you see what this is saying? If God can raise Jesus from the dead as we showed in the last series, you're guaranteed you ain't going to die and stay dead. You're going to die, but you're going to be back better than ever. And we'll see that in this text. As Paul lays these things out, guys, the best security we have is not what you walk through life with. It's who you walk through life with. We can stand over here in fear and all these things and give ourselves all this stuff to stand against as I did for years and years in my fight and my battles against sin and, and pornography and lust and all these pieces about lying and all these things that have wound me up. You know what? I fought and fought and fought by focusing on it and focusing on it and focusing on it and focusing on it. The only power that's ever broken it is when you, walk, when you turn around and while you acknowledge that's the reality, you turn and start giving yourself away as the Spirit of God leads you and you let him fight sin and you just go with him. Amen. You surrender and you obey. You trust and obey. Strangely enough, that's an old song, but it's true. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Bow your heads with me. Take a moment if you're a Christian in this room, if you're a Christ follower, and you know, take a self take a self-assessment. As you do, the assessment is not whether you're condemned. <laughs> you're not. God has loved you with an incorruptible love. And he has given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Jesus Christ loves you, and yet we can still dwell on the things of our flesh. So take that analysis right now and ask God to begin to move you in that other direction. There are others of you here today where you're like, wow, that was pretty darn intense. And you may be happy that you're not a Christian because <laughs> you don't have to, you, you can go enjoy all this flesh stuff. But I want to remind you that there's a cost. And you may not feel that cost today, but some of you know the cost. Some of you have felt the cost. Some of you are paying the cost. And you don't know what to do. You don't know how to get out of that cost. And, and I'm just going to tell you that one day you're going to realize you have to pay it and, and you, you can't pay it. 
And so I want to tell you about what God has done. He's given you his son, Jesus Christ, to pay that cost for you. Jesus came in sinful, in, in, the, in, in the flesh, not sinful flesh, but came in the flesh to bear our sin. He was condemned on our behalf so that all that judgment, all that guiltiness that we feel would be put on him and you would be freed, not to go do whatever you want, but freed to have a relationship with the God of the universe. You see, when God forgives you, he moves into your life. That's that spirit we talked about. And he begins to lead you and guide you for life. He's taking care of the sin, past, present, and future. So that he would dwell with you, so you could have a relationship with him, so you could journey through life with the God who keeps you secure. It doesn't mean it's not difficult. That doesn't mean there's not troubles. But he gives you a family to be with. He gives you his presence to live with. And he gives you a security in those ways. And so maybe you need to have your sins washed away. Maybe you need God to pay that debt. Then right where you are, you can receive that gift this morning. And if you would like to receive it, would you let me know? I just uh, The way that you let me know is by putting your hand up right now. And you say, yes, I want God to pay that debt off for me. I'm ready to receive what Jesus did on the cross. If that's you, put your hand up with me, and I would love to pray along with you at this moment. If you're there, you just pray this prayer with me. It's not a... It's not a, the prayer that saves you, but it's a way to help you walk through that. And you're just saying to God, I, I, God, I know that I've sinned and that sin comes with a price. And I trust that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay that price. And I believe that he rose from the dead so I could have a new life. Would you please come into my life and lead me from here? I trust you, and I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.